uh, we are going to turn in our Bibles towards John chapter 1 today, and we've been going through this series called Jesus is Life, Light, Lamb, and Lord, and we've looked at this all through December, and today is the kind of final of those four in that Jesus came as Lord to be our Lord, and so we'll look at that today. Um, kind of a heads up, uh, in our worship gatherings, we usually have a time for uh, a kingdom moment, and we will be hearing a testimony on the tail end of my sermon, so I'll kind of forewarn you about that, that we'll be hearing from uh, a story of life change, somebody, God has gotten a hold of his heart, and just, you'll be blessed by this. Um, so kind of anticipate that as we work our way through the last part of John chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to read from verses 35 through verses 43 in John chapter 1. I'm going to warn you on the front end. You can be praying. I am heavily medicated. And so if, uh, if I say something wacky, that's the medicine. If I say something that sticks for life change, that's the spirit. Amen? All right. I like to warn you because I had a couple people look at me kind of funny this morning about something I said. This is what the word of the Lord says as Jesus is calling his first disciples to himself. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked as Jesus, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and he stayed with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are called, so you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. And this is the verse I want you to latch on today. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. I want to pray for us. Maybe you think of that as a strange Christmas text, but we have been looking at all of these characteristics and attributes of who Jesus is, what he came to be, and today we'll look at his lordship. And so this is a call for disciples to follow and I want to pray and have you pray this specific prayer. Sometimes I ask you specific, sometimes I don't. But ask God this or ask him to help you follow Jesus more fully today. You pray for us in our time together and I'll pray for us collectively. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, for its truth. Thank you that it speaks to us, that it is a revelation demand to know you, to be reconciled to you. And Father, in Jesus Christ, who is the Word, the Logos, he is the full manifestation of your Word, who came and lived on this earth and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would hear that today and we would desire to follow Jesus more fully. So Father, help us to do that, not just at Christmas time, but all through the days of our life to follow Jesus, the King, into eternity. We pray these things in his name and all God's people said. Well, each week I've given you a statement about Jesus and him being life and light and lamb and Lord. And so I want to, by way of review, before we open our gift together, which I'm going to invite a couple boys up to do that, we said that Jesus came as life 
to give his life so that you could walk in the newness of life. We looked at that in the first week of December. And then the second week we said Jesus came as light to shine his light so that you could walk in the light. That's the front part of John chapter 1. And then last week, Jesus came as a sinless lamb to take on sin as a sacrificial lamb so that by the blood of the lamb, you could be free from sin. And we looked at John's proclamation, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so today we have our fourth gift. I'm going to invite these wild boys up here. And they are literally wild boys. Yeah, you know who they are. They're going to come and open the fourth gift. So each week we've had a uh, a little help opening a gift. You guys can stand here. This is a big one. I told them it was big and they have to open it together. So we're talking about Lord today. Do you have any ideas what this is? A manger, a manger and... I don't know. I wouldn't guess either. All right. Why don't you guys open that together? I'm going to get this stuff out of the way. It's a box. It, well, it's a box. It comes in a box. The gift is not a box. That would be lame gift giving right there. If your parents get you just a box this year, you come and see me, Okay. Oh, we got to unwrap the other tape. Yeah, just, I mean, come on, man. Why am I helping you? You're, is this how you guys open presents at home? It's like all passive aggressive. Oh, oh, okay. Double. Pull it out. Ooh, show everybody. What is that? Do you know what that is? Does anybody know what this is? It's a yoke, but it's actually, truth be told, it's really a single tree. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but um, (laughs) this is like a yoke. Do you guys know what a yoke is? Kind of. So I told him I would demonstrate. Come forward a little bit. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, a yoke was for animals to work in the field, and what they would do is they put it like, here, get together. You yoke up two oxen, and you put it together like this, and then you would pull a plow for somebody to plow the field. It's pretty interesting. Now, a true yoke had like two wooden bars. Nope, what are you doing? Stand facing there. <laughs> a true yoke had two wooden bars that would come on and like go around your neck. So I'm going to get your parents one of these for Christmas. <laughs> All right? Would that be good? Yeah. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't jump off. A yoke. A yoke, and when we talk about lordship, we think about the yoke of discipleship. Now, Jesus said something fascinating, and we'll look at this text today in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And he said this, Come to me, all who labor and share heavy laden and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He made an invitation to everyone, said, Come and follow me and take my yoke upon you. And you can only do that if you believe in Jesus as Lord. If he is worthy of tying yourself to, tying your life to, being yoked together with, if you trust in him by faith and believe he's worthy of joining and that you're willing to be led by him. For that's what the yoke does. You see, Jesus came as Lord to be our Lord so that you could follow him as Lord. An emphasis on that word follow. Lord, Jehovah or Yahweh in the Old Testament 
What does that mean in human terms, Lord, when we think about that means king or, or ruler. But when it's given a title to God like that, that doesn't fully encompass everything in the way it should. Truly to God, it was king over all things, sovereign over all creation. In the Old Testament, the great I am who was and is and always will be the divine creator, no one above him, no one more powerful. And Jesus coming to earth is given the same title by his disciples and all who come to him. Lord, identifying him as one with God the Father, as many of his statements were. In fact, the whole created order comes under the lordship of Jesus as the sovereign firstborn of all creation. For it was created through him and sustained by him, as we learn in Colossians 1. And you see, Jesus was born, and we celebrate his birth this time of year. But he didn't, didn't die as a baby, did he? He grew in wisdom and stature. He walked on this earth in perfect obedience and righteousness. And it wasn't until about age 30 that he begins his earthly ministry. And then he calls, which we read, his disciples, and he called them by what he said in verse 33. He said, follow me. He went out and he had hand-selected people that he was going to invite to walk with him, but he made that very clear in that command, follow me. Wasn't something that they could just do if they wanted to. He said, this is what it's going to look like to be my disciple. And he said, follow me. What is Jesus really saying by calling that calling them in such a way. He's what we're sometimes, he's looking for sometimes what we call and refer to in the church as fat disciples. And if you've never heard that, that's faithful, available, and teachable. That's who he was calling to himself. But if you ask, ask that, like, if it's just about faithful, availability, and teachability, is that all that it is? Is it just about faith and availability? Someone, and even someone who just wants to learn? Some Christians, or I would say so-called Christians, maybe by name only, do not even possess those qualities, faithfulness and availability and even teachability. And yet some do, but if you look closely, following Jesus is really just about one thing, trusting obedience. It's not about all the things that you think it could be and all the things that maybe I've come up with. It's about one thing. When he said, follow me, all he wanted us to ever do was obey him, by faith, trusting obedience. Look at this verse for a moment with me. John 3, 3.36, it'll be up. He said this, Jesus, in John chapter 3, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, that's interesting in that verse. Why didn't he just finish the second part the way he started the first? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son. Instead, he uses this phrase. Whoever obeys, whoever does not obey, rather, he puts obedience in there when he could have just said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not, not believe. But he says, whoever does not obey. Why does he use that? Because it's about following. It's about lordship. It's about submission. It's about obedience. Many claim to know Christ in our culture, but without obedience to his word, it really doesn't mean anything. That's why it's important to note the language of the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. 18 through 20, says it this way. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. What did he say in verse 20 there? Teach them everything you know. No. He said, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Jesus is giving this great commission as his disciples are leaving or as he's leaving right, right before he's leaving the earth. He's giving this commission to them. He says, teach them to obey everything I've told you. Teach them to follow the way that I have asked and called for you to follow me. Emphasis on obedience. An actual doing, as James would say, of what the word says. Don't be hearers only, be doers of the word. Which is why when we look at the title Lord, we know that not everyone who says it is really and truly saved. We know this from Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. This makes sense to us when we see it like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right? The title, it's there out of their lips. Not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, the title again. Did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And the response, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Isn't that crazy that Jesus, when you read that in the scriptures, Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, who gives me the title, actually means it, actually follows, actually truly obeys. That's like those people, and you think, whenever I read that, I think, who's saying stuff like that? Who's, who's actually saying stuff like that and truly doesn't know Christ? There's like a mist there. People are actually confessing that he's Lord, but then not doing anything he says. That's all you're left to come up with. People who might just be by name only or association. I really want the gift of heaven. I really want security of what God would give me, a very like self-focused thing in our culture, right? But I don't really want to do what he says. You see, Jesus came as Lord to be our Lord so that you and I could follow him as Lord. Many of us would call ourselves disciples, but we must make sure we have the right. We have responded to him as Savior. We have come to him. But then when he seeks to slip the yoke of discipleship around our necks, well, some of us resist. We back off, refuse to truly listen and submit to his word and acknowledge his authority. You see, Jesus came as a baby, but again, I said he didn't die as a baby. He lived on earth for 30 years, submitting himself to the Father and to the Father's will in perfect obedience. We talked about that a lot last week. Yes, he died for us, but he also lived for us. That's the part that we cannot forget. In obedience and righteousness, and we said last week that that through his death that atoned for our sins, he transferred to the righteousness part, his perfect obedience. That's for all who believe. Our sins are covered. They were put on Jesus. And in return, the righteous obedience of Christ is put on us. You see, when we think about a yoke, Jesus says, he says, take this. This is a heavy instrument, right? He says, take this, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And, and it's odd because this doesn't look like a symbol of rest. This looks like a symbol of work. And I was like, what he was talking about there when, when he put it in context is the, the Pharisees had this law burden that was put on people. Keep laws. There's 660 or something like that laws that they had to keep. And Jew, Jews at the time were religious to that and keeping that. And Jesus came along. He said, that's like this, this yoke of law keeping. 
It's a burden that no one could ever keep truly because no one was sinless and perfect. And he said that's what the Pharisees would lay on the back of people. And Jesus was offering relief from that, this burdensome, self-righteous, legalistic, law-keeping thing. And he was saying that you can't do that. No amount of law-keeping can ever bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And so when he said yoke, it made sense to them in the context that they were talking about, trying to keep all these rules. And what makes Jesus' yoke easy then, and his burden light, is in Jesus' own act of obedience, his perfect fulfillment of the law. He carried the burden that we were meant to carry. His perfect obedience then is applied to us, or imputed, as we say, by faith. Just as we get that righteousness exchanged for our sin at the cross, when we said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our obedience to Jesus then becomes our spiritual worship, which we know from Romans 12.1, right? I appeal to you, Paul says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That kind of obedience and worship unto God is our duty then. What is this yoke if he promises rest? Why does he tell, to put us, tell us to put on a yoke? I mean, that it seems so odd. He's promising rest here, right? A yoke placed on the beasts of burden in order to do this work. What kind of thing is Jesus offering to us? You think of obedience in terms of even following. You think of that sounds like work. And Jesus is offering rest. Is it rest or is it work? That's precisely the question Jesus wants to ask. What work must we do for him that supposedly will give us rest? And Jesus answers this question all throughout the scriptures, but primarily in these two verses, John 6, 29, when he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's faith. And then he comes along in John 15, 4, and we know this well. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You kind of get this closeness and obedience to trusting obedience, repentance and faith. It's about that. It's about this idea that Jesus is calling us to put this yoke on, but in that obedience and faith, we are given rest, this call to discipleship. How and why? To take Christ's yoke simply means this to submit to his person as the one who is gentle and meek, as one who is gentle and caring and concerned for us. It means to put yourself under his leading, to join yourself together with him, but the difference is he is the yoke mate that can give you rest. Note the following illustration of these two oxen. A farmer writes about this, or an observer to a farmer, I should say, about one Oxen in the yoke very large and one very small. There was an old farmer plowing with a team of oxen. As I saw this team, I was somewhat amazed. For one was a huge ox and the other a very small bullock. That ox towered over the little bullock that was sharing the work with him. I was amazed and perplexed to see a farmer trying to plow with two such unequal animals in the yoke and commented on the inequality of, to the man of whom I was riding with. He stopped his car and said, I want you to notice something. 
See the way those traces are hooked to the yoke? You will observe that the large ox is pulling all the weight. That little bullock is being broken into the yoke, but he is not actually pulling any weight. My mind instinctively came to this passage of Scripture where our Lord said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me or from me, for I am. In the normal yoking, the load is equally distributed between the two that are yoked together. But when we are yoked with Jesus Christ, he bears the load, and we who are yoked to him share in the joy and the accomplishment of the labor, but without the burden of the yoke. How can we submit to the Savior's yoke? The answer is found in which he says, learn from me. See, friends, he's calling us to serve, but we work and serve in the strength of which he gives, and he is always beside us when we submit to him, pulling the weight for us if we only yield our lives to him. And friends, the only time when the load becomes overbearing is when we try to take over and do the pulling ourselves. I want you to hear from a friend of mine who is going to share his testimony, Matt White. You can make your way up here. Matt and Brooke have been here for almost a couple years, a year and a half. And uh, their family has... um, has been journeying with us and got to hear a little bit of his testimony um, before. And I would just say that, like, it's amazing what you don't know about people and how God can transform a life. And so I'm just going to turn it over to him, very similar uh, to what I've been speaking about, Lordship, this morning. Well, I'm not heavily medicated. Uh, (laughs) So there's no guarantees what's going to come out of my mouth. Um. Craig mentioned my name's Matt. Uh, we've been with this church for about uh, about a year and a half. Um, story behind this box, uh, it's more than me just being an Indians fan. Uh, this box and I go way back. Um, my sister's here today. Uh, her name's Hope. This box is older than she is. It's about 25 years old. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be able to share my story today because I know that this, is, this isn't my story, this is God's story, and this is him in, in revealing himself in my life in ways that nobody knows about. Um, I'm from Toledo, Ohio. Um, I have 12 brothers and sisters. Um, so... I'm going to answer the two questions that probably came into your mind. No, we're not Catholic. (laughs) And we did not grow up on a farm. Um, But growing up with 12 brothers and sisters, so there's 13 of us, a baker's dozen. We grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Um, We moved to Wisconsin. Uh, I was about 12 years old. Uh, it It was a really difficult time for our family. Um, we, 12, you know, 12 kids, um, there was a poverty. Um, we had less than nothing. Um, our house in Toledo was auctioned off. Um, the joke about that was that we didn't even make enough money to fill the U-Haul gas tank to get up here. Um, so we moved to Amro. Uh, we were in that house in Amro for about uh, about nine months or so, give or take, and, and again, I'm 12. 
Um, but we moved here. My mom was pregnant with the one, in, the one that's here today, Hope. And during that time, that nine months, that was a tough time. Um, there was a lot of things happening within our family, a lot of, um, you know, drugs and, and um, alcohol abuse just from a couple siblings. And it was, a, it was a scary time for myself and another brother of, of mine um, just because of what was happening with that situation. And we were there for about nine months, and then something happened very quick there, and I, I don't remember exactly what happened. Um, and part of the relationship I have with my parents is kind of why some of these details are void, but um, something had happened, and we were quickly out of that house. And we moved into a motel uh, just a few blocks down. We were in this motel for quite some time. Um, we had some issues there. I mean, it was just things were kind of getting worse and worse. And we were like kicked out, or again, we were kind of abruptly out, but this is where the Indian's box comes in. Um, everything that I owned fit into this box. Clothes, baseball glove, football, everything I own. My brother has one just like it. There's, there's three of these floating around, um, but this is mine. And everything that I owned was inside this box. And so when we left Amro, it was easy to move, right? This fit in the trunk of a car. So packed it up, and we moved to Fond du Lac. Uh, we moved to a second motel. Um, and this motel was like the Taj Mahal compared to, um, or the, the Amaral Motel was like the Taj Mahal compared to this Fond du Lac one. It was, it's not even there today. But we were in this motel again for about another year. Um, things just, continuing to spiral. Um, you know, my dad was kinda there working, uh, just, and that's what he did, he provided. Um, so my dad just a workhorse. Um, and meanwhile, during this time, we're homeschooled. Um, you know, my mom had pulled us out of school. Um, I've heard a couple of reasons why, but we were pulled out of school, and from first grade on, I was homeschooled, all of my siblings um, from from the, uh, my older sister on down, so like seven or eight of us, homeschooled. Um, brothers went to a high school, but um, we stayed in this motel for, uh, we were in this one for about a year. Um, again, just the whole poverty and, and food stamps, I mean, you name it. But this was the life we were living, and we were kids, we were resilient. Um, but from... From Amro to Fond du Lac, uh, somewhere along the lines, we, I don't know if we came into some money or what, but all, just like all of a sudden we're building a house. It's like, okay. So we're building a house, and this is where we end up in St. Peter. We call it the Holy Lands. Holy Lands, it's like all these small towns that have Catholic churches, a few bars, and a couple houses, a cemetery. We call it the Holy Lands. Um, and that's where Brooke is from. Uh, Brooke is my wife. Um, Brooke, Brooke and I have been together uh, almost 20 years. And during that time, um, just with the struggles and, and St. Peter things, seemed to kind of, I don't know, um, kind of stabilize a little bit. I mean, there's, there's a lot of um, unstable and, and nonsense happening in my life or our life at this time. Um, while our house is being built, um, we're being kicked out of this Fond du Lac motel again, 
and we're like motel shopping and like trying to find something else and like other people are like you can't move eight kids into a one-bedroom motel like I don't know how you've been doing it but like you can't do it anymore so like there was like this time where I'm not sure exactly what happened but we ended up in this house in st. Peter um, it, it was it was nearly finished it was moved there it was a mobile home um, but it was moved there partially finished and we're living in this home um, and keep in mind, we're still being homeschooled. Not, not much schooling going on at this point. Uh, but this is where I met Brooke. Um, I'm about 15 at this point, um, playing sports and um, what have you. And, and 15, 16, this is where I met Brooke. Um, and uh, she and I, you know, started dating and, uh, you know, just became closer and closer together. During this time... Um, a couple years after that, um, I had learned that my oldest four siblings weren't really my siblings. Um, and that was a really hard time for me. Um, I mean, I look back on it now and, and think it's, you know, just part of the story and part of the challenges and, and some of the lies and some of the, the brokenness that was within our family that, that we just struggled with and that, that was just part of it. But that, that was devastating to me. Um, and about that time, I had gotten involved in, uh, I was involved in sports all along, but really gravitated. I was, I was a pretty good hockey player at the time and, and really gravitated towards um, sports and found my identity in that, um, ma mainly hockey, but baseball as well. And during that time, uh, just really kind of focused on that, just, you know, engaged in, in just normal kid stuff at this point, trying to fit in, not look different. Um, and, and struggling inside. Um, I was about 17, 17, I was a junior in high school age, and uh, started um, having concussions, um, head injuries. And I had about seven or eight of them, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> um, but I started having concussions, and they were just getting worse and worse, and, and um, things just weren't right, and, and just kind of everything going on in my life. Um, at this point, I'm ready to take my high school GED test, um, and again, not being educated all these years, kind of hit and miss. Um, that was, <laughs> was a disaster, um, and it just kind of put into perspective, like, the road that I'm going to have. And... So I, I had failed my first attempt at the GED. Um, I had some coaching with you know, somebody that worked at the GED place or whatever, and she helped me along. And um, I, I'm embarrassed to say what my, what my education level was at the time. Um, but I ended up getting my GED eventually. Enrolling in college, um, and at that time, um, I was working at a local hospital, and I um, really wanted to be a nurse. Um, that was, I just, I, I, I'm passionate about that and patient care and whatever and wanted to be a nurse. So I enrolled in nursing school, failed miserably. Um, I, I, there's just no way to explain it. Um, just wasn't prepared for that. Um, and that kind of leads to the first image that I have up here is that my life before Christ, it's an interesting to say it that way because we grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad taught us the values of being a Christian the values of loving God, the values of, of loving Jesus, the value of, of family. And so when I say my life before Christ, 
it's a fine line, um, I think. Um, you know, we did, you know, growing up, we did church bells and choir. And, I mean, we were, we were involved, so I don't want to put it in that light um, because I, I believe that our parents tried to do the right thing in that regard. Um, but at this point, I've got my plan, and I'm experiencing reality. And the reality is, is that these highs and lows, these peaks and valleys, I wasn't prepared for that. I just, I wasn't. I didn't have the game plan. Um, definitely wasn't, wasn't in the owner's manual at this point. Um, so my career is really going nowhere at this point. I've got no education. I'm failing at school. Um, I've got these concussions. I was in a really bad car accident. Um, I was about 20 years old or 21. I was in a really bad car accident, and that was my final concussion. That's the one where, you know, doctors are like, can't play. You have to stop this. The next one could be devastating. Because um, this one was. I mean, it was like months and months and months of, like, mess. Like, couldn't remember things, couldn't focus, couldn't concentrate. Um, just, just a lot of issues. It went on for about six months. Um, so at this point, I'm, I'm really kind of questioning my worth and, and whether I could provide. I mean, at this point, Brooke and I are getting very serious. We're, we're talking about getting married. Um, and just at levels of depression that truly make me uncomfortable to even think about. And, and revisit. But uh, um, Brooke and I get married, so we're, we're kind of muscling through this stuff, right? Like just forcing results, making things happen, um, bearing the load on my own. And this is where um, I started getting involved in some uh, bar league sports. Uh, so my brothers, we played bar league softball, we played bar league hockey. Um, and this is where things really, really became a problem for me personally. Um, at this point, that wasn't the problem for me, but um, just experiencing um, just that life. Um, so Brooke and I are newly married. We've got a kid on the way. And this lifestyle just had us going like this. Um, just, you know, doing my own thing, having no regard for that, just, you know, just appeasing the brothers, just, just doing what, what guys do, right? Um, and this is when things really started to crumble around my ears. Um, you know, I'm failing at, failing at, at school, I'm failing, failing at hockey, now I'm failing in my marriage. Um, I'm, I'm failing as a provider and just really struggling with this. Um, and this is where um, slide two comes into play. My brother um, had moved to Indiana and just being the person that I was, um, didn't tell Brooke that I was going. And, and again, Brooke and I are having some serious problems at this point. Just me doing my own thing and, and just it, it's not a good thing. And, and so my brother's moving to Indiana and I decide that I'm just going to help him. I don't, I don't tell Brooke. I don't, like, just, like, I'm on my way down there, and she's calling and calling and calling and calling. I finally answer, and she's like, where are you? And she can hear the toll booth lady in the background, and she's like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm on my way to Indiana. Like, who, like what's it to you? Who cares, right? Like, what does it matter? Like, just whatever, you know. It was, 
par for the course for me. And so our relationship is on the rocks, and I help my brother move, and this is where I am really feeling rock bottom. And, and trust me, I had, like, pitched a tent, set a campfire, like I was living there. And I was on my way back, and I've just, I've got, like, this story in my mind of, like, I'm getting, I'm going back to Brooke. I'm just going back to that mess. Like, I'm, I'm telling myself this story of, like, just nonsense of, like, why can't I help my brother? And, and why do you have, I'm just, like, creating this story. About halfway home from Indiana, um, I stop at a bar, and I pulled off, like, some Chicago area somewhere, stop at a bar, and I'm like, pull into the parking lot, and I just, I paused, and, and something, something really grabbed a hold of me at this point. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you idiot, like, what are you going to do here? Like, and I just, I just began this, this, like, wrestling, and just, just like, what am I doing here? What, like, everything is a mess. How did I end up here? What? What brought me here? Like, this is a disaster. And I just, in that moment, in that moment, I surrendered. Bless you. that moment I surrendered um, and I asked for the Lord's help and it was like that first half of the trip and just all that self-talk and, and anger and frustration and resentment and, and just all this stuff it just built up and in that moment I surrendered and let me tell you I, when I was asked to give my testimony a couple of times I, I can't even explain that feeling that feeling of freedom, just that, that moment of him, him taking that. So I have this conversation with God at this point, and I'm talking and, and just trying to, like, figure out, like, how, how can I get this back, right? I've made countless promises to Brooke that I'm going to change and haven't, so how is she going to believe me? And I'm just thinking, like, how, like, I'm just, I'm just wrestling. And, and <laughs> it reminds me of that, that Bible story about Jacob wrestling with God and him kind of <laughs> leaving him with a limp. Well, he didn't leave me with a limp. But he did perform a heart transplant. And in that moment, when my heart changed and I could feel it, like, it, it was something... Like I said, I can't explain it. It was magical. It was, it was liberating. Um, but I, I, was, I finished my drive home just kind of thinking, like, how, how can I be different? And just having that conversation with God, like, the whole way home. And I remember coming into the house and talking to Brooke, and she's like, <laughs> she's had it. Like, I thought for sure my stuff would be on the front porch. And, and I just kind of told her. And, and just... That day forward became different. Started getting into God's word. 
started turning to sermons um, and just really started gravitating towards God's word, getting into it. And there's a few things, there's a few verses and a few things that stuck out to me in my first couple of weeks and months is that there's always a premise before God's promise. And Craig's message today was, come to me and I will give you rest. The promise is I had to come to him in order for him to give me rest. That doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean it's easy today. Brooke and I still have our troubles and, and, and we still have issues, but we handle them differently. I'm prepared. And I think of the second image here of how I came to Christ in that moment in Indiana, my Red Sea moment. This was Jesus reaching down and saying, I got you, right? Like you've turned it over, you've done the hard part, you've released it, now let me do the rest. And he continues to work in Brooks and I's marriage today in ways that I can't even explain. Another verse that comes to mind is the one that he read today, Matthew 28, 20. That was my confirmation verse as a Lutheran. And after I was struggling with these things, I really gravitated towards this verse. Because it says, low I am with you always, even until the ends of the earth. That means no matter how low I am or how far I try to run, he's there. And he's ready and waiting and willing. The other verse that came to mind that I really, that I really clung to was in Ephesians 5. And how husbands are supposed to be to their wives. And we are to love our wives like Christ loves the church. And I'm not perfect at it. But that's the verse that I cling to when I think about our marriage, is I'm to love her with that much intention. So coming back to, um, coming back to our family here, there was, my dad was involved in an accident. Uh, it was a week ago, nine years ago today, or uh, last Sunday, nine years ago last Sunday. Um, he was in an accident, he caused an accident that um, tragically took the life of multiple people and severely injured many others. And this was a moment in our family where you could almost visibly see Satan drive a wedge right between us. My mom became angry, like angry, angry. For, and things have been happening, I mean, like I told you before, this is a long story with my family. But my mom and how she responded and how she's been the last nine years has just left a, a trail of broken relationships that I can't even get into today. Um, but we live with that. And this is where our faith brings us through. And this is where things just aren't always perfect and dandy. This is where we take the things that we stuff down and we hide, hoping nobody ever finds out. And we turn them over to God because he promises a light burden.
I don't know what that looks like for my mom, but I can tell you this. No matter what's going on, and we pray for her, no matter what's going on, I always come back to, to one thing, and that's how Jesus restores. And he brought on this hope, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Craig, and I'm going to even him here. But I hung on to this acronym of hope, of holding on, praying expectantly. And that's what we do. We hold on and we pray expectantly because we know that God will deliver. He's won these battles. He's taken this victory and he's defeated it already. And that's what I needed to understand. So as I, as I finish up here today, I, I, I thought I'd be done much sooner than this, but as I finish up today, um, I... Like I said, I, I, it's hard to believe I'm standing up here because only one person has known my story, and it's Brooke. Um, and obviously the Lord. But I look at this third image, and I think about this box. And it was interesting, as I was referring to this in my testimony with, with a group of men who I thank God for, um, but as I think about this box and, and everything that I've clung so tightly to and, and my story's out of the box, my sin, my shame, my pride, my ego, everything that just was destroying my life, I was hanging on to. And that's not how it works. I have baggage just like everybody else does. I'm no different. Family secrets, family issues, things that I'll never know about my family. But this image reminds me that when we come to him, his burden is light. All we have to do is follow him. He's already taken up our baggage. He's just ready for us to follow him. And I'm just very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the people that God has put in my life that have just always believed in me and just, just stuck with me. Brooke had no reason to stick with me. I gave her every reason not to. But she did. And I'm glad she did. Because I would not be the person I am today without the Lord and without her presence in my life and I, I just love seeing how he's working in my life and how he's working in hers and our just our three beautiful boys we had to do a little bit of a parental warning before <laughs> before we had this conversation today because they're like I said they're, my kids didn't know about my past they didn't know what a bum their dad was before before coming to the Lord and really focusing on that they didn't know about my dad's accident. There's m many people in my family that, that don't know the outcome of that um, just because they've chosen not to share it with their kids. Um, and I think that just speaks to, to what we are as humans without, without God in our life. Um, so I just I thank you for listening.
there's parts of the story that, uh, that there's parts that you didn't even share. And um, when I heard this, I was just so, so encouraged, walked away, that God is still doing transformative work in people's lives. And I didn't feel like I knew Matt at all And um, after hearing this story. And sometimes you just don't know. And we all have a story and asked him to share it and knew that you'd be blessed by it. And just pray, pray, pray that God would use this in your life that it would only cause you to follow Jesus more fully. I want to leave us with this. This is 2 Corinthians 5, thinking of um, this as Matt was speaking. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's why Christ came at Christmas, to reconcile us to the Father.